Meet me on the softer side. Meet me on the softer side. Softer side of your heart. Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. You can find out about this and all of our other author events at www.skylightbooks.com, where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. You can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. And don't forget, Skylight Books depends on listeners like you to help support us. So whether you're in our neighborhood or browsing online, buy a book or two to help ensure that we'll be around for a long, long time. Thanks and enjoy. First welcome, James Greer. How's it going? Before we start, do we have any questions? Doesn't have to be about me, but it would help. Um, all right, I'm gonna read um, this one. It's called Self-Destruction, Volume One. If at any point I stop and you're confused, um, that is your fault. And I may read uh, some jokes at some point just to break up the monotony. I have planetary wounds, by which I mean I move planets and it hurts. The process of moving planets, never fun exactly, but not without its sidereal benefits, he added, in a jocular tone to denote a joke, to subvert suspicion of pretense, because in the worst way he feared suspicion of pretense can, can physically, who writes this, can physically. You get bumps and bruises and mysterious cuts. These never heal. So the question sits up like a small dog, tongue draped over teeth, whining. Why do I engage in moving planet behavior? Question mark. Answer, it is a compulsion. All right, an addiction. Never doubt your powers is the advice I have extracted from the advisors who advise me in my business. Always doubt your powers, perhaps is a better way of putting it. Rutledge Rutt is not his real name. Not even close. Anagrams are a waste of the point is. He tries and tries to see what the matter with his silly life. He knows his life is silly, so I'm not telling tales out of school. I live in a cabin made of pine logs. That does not mean it is a log cabin. The snow slits up to the windows and the wind from early fall to late spring. I am unapproachable. Rutledge Rutt will come to meet, see me often in that time. He approaches by a way I have not discovered because it is profoundly uninteresting. Hello, Rudert Rutt, I say when he bangs on my portal. The word door is forbidden in my house, so I say portal. What brings you to my door? Am I the only one allowed to say door, I should add? I ask what brings him to my, <clears throat> sorry, cut, edit that one out. I ask what brings Rutledge Rutt only to amuse the fingers of fire that reach from the frigid air of my open portal. For no other earthly reason, because Rutledge Rudge replies the same thing every time, and wisely so, or he would not be admitted within my piney walls. I was in the neighborhood, he replies. I love that answer. It is the only possible answer. I throw wide the door and tug him into my cabin. One time I believe I may have flung my arms around his scarf 
be decked neck and kissed his face repeatedly. Because once you start something like kissing a man's face, which is extremely cold to the point of frostbite, and your lips are warm from excellent coffee, you have difficulty pulling away. I'm going to read a quick joke. Do struggling porn actors say that they're a living ass to mouth? <clears throat> if you bring me some real coffee, I will, I will explain or rather relate the real story. Up to you. Or you can place my cells in your cell. I really don't mind. You choose. That captain is something. I believe he is a captain or believes himself to be a captain though I am unversed in the uniform insignia of the palace of authority. He will not look me in the eye. I say I because I only have one eye. Otherwise, it would have been correct to say eyes. I say I have one eye, but what I mean is I only have one with me. I didn't bring the other. I travel light. You only need one eye to move a planet. It has to be a strong eye, a good eye, but one will do. <clears throat> Say you're interested in placing Mars a smidget closer to the sun because of reasons that you should and do keep private. And then what's the process? Projection, you know, planetary motion, quasar pulses, etc., etc. It's technical. The only hard part is when you actually arrive at the planet with the lever, which I wish someone would explain this to me, is inevitably made from rough-hewn wood, so the splinter effect another technical term, plays a big role in the bumps and bruises and unhealable mystery cuts. Any, are there any more questions? This is all pretty self-explanatory, right? He takes the planet and he moves it somewhere else. Would we like another joke? <laughs> Today this guy at work called me the king of redundancies, said this guy I work with. How much longer would you like me to go? It's a long book. Five more jokes? Five more jokes, you got it. <laughs> this is for you music lovers out there. If you listen to Led Zeppelin's physical graffiti while watching The Hobbit, it ruins both of those things. <laughs> they say you should never meet your heroes, which is sound advice. One day I hope to be a hero to my kids. <laughs> Today the guy at work called me the king of redundancy, said this guy I work with. <laughs> And I will, um, I will finish with a character, because everyone knows James Greer does great characters. <laughs> I call this character the ultra right-wing Jamaican politician. Marriage is between a woman and a man-man, not a man and a man-man. Was that five? Did I hit my quota? Thank you so much. You should buy my book.
Hi, um, I'm Frankie Elliott, and my book is Kiss As Many Women As You Can. And basically, I went around the country with my typewriter, and people came up to me and would give me a word, and I'd type a story for them on the spot. So nothing, and I gave the story to whoever requested it, but I took pictures of my favorite ones and turned them into this book. So nothing's edited, everything's been written in under five minutes. And I collaborated with my favorite artist, Sean Stuckey, who does beautiful paintings and screen prints. And, um, and it's a tear-out postcard book, so you, if you, know, you read something and it reminds you of someone, you can tear it out and give it to them. So I'm going to give you the prompt, and I'm going to read the story afterward, afterwards. So um, This prompt was drunk. Nobody wants to be the drunkest person at the holiday party, but a couple of years ago, it was you. I remember you tackled me into the snow and shouted, I love you. And I was wildly jealous in that moment because I can never lose control and I can never say I love you, especially when it is true. This prompt was orange soda. When I got off the stage, I sat next to the French millionaire and said, tell me about your last lover. He searched for the words in English and they came out quite nicely. Well, he said, she was kind of cheap, like drinking orange juice from a can. And I laughed, but saw that there was distance in his eyes, which meant that she was more like orange soda, and everyone likes orange soda sometimes. Um, this is the title poem. The topic was prostitutes. Victorio has lived on Division Street for 73 years. Back then, he said, the streets were full of cowboys and the churches with mobsters. He was only good at two things, dancing and stealing cars. At age 14, Victoria lost his virginity to the most famous prostitute in Chicago. Her name was Lucy, and she told him, Honey, kiss as many women as you can, but never fall in love. He tells me today, 60 years later, that is the worst, best advice he was ever given. Um, this topic was Allie. Sometimes you find yourself in an alley crying, sometimes you find yourself in love, and sometimes you find yourself crying in an alley because you're in love. Either way, it feels pretty damn good to be alive. Um, this is a story that I wrote on Venice Beach, which is a really hard place to set up because Everybody's very territorial there, um, so I had to bribe a homeless guy selling cardboard signs to let me type stories. And um, a, marine, a guy from the Marines who was like 19 years old requested astronomy. When I was growing up, my father had this massive telescope that he would pull out at calculated times and show us the planets. He always said if he had a choice, he would have been an astronomer instead of a doctor. And I honestly can't remember the last time that I searched for the stars. Um, that guy came back and brought a bunch of friends who also requested stories. And one of his friends gave me the topic hedgehog. Sometimes I remember the analogy, some, or, sorry, start over. Sometimes I worry that the analogy hedgehog's dilemma describes me perfectly. Haven't heard of it, neither had I although it encapsulates the human soul and its flaws so honestly. So what is Hedgehog's Dilemma? It is when two people who have every intention to be emotionally intimate, but their needles force them to stay far enough apart so as not to hurt with one another. A humane concept, actually, until loneliness sets in. Um, I'm going to do two more. Okay. Um, this topic was bracelets. 
She was in the middle of a manic breakdown the day she made me three beaded white and turquoise bracelets. She said she knows when one is coming because of the cats. She sees them in every room. Cats and unusually grand ideas. She said I was the only person who could understand schizophrenia without actually having it. And so I thanked her kindly for the bracelets. And this last one is um, loss, which was a common topic from everybody. Yeah, yeah, they always say you find something in the last place you look. A true enough statement, I suppose. But I say you only find something when you hit rock bot bottom. When you lose everything you thought meant something and have to start over. That's when you find the greatest thing of all, yourself. So let's kiss as many women as you can. Hey, there's like a like part of the Red Sea, so I'm not going to look here because then I wouldn't be interacting with anybody. I had a fucked up day. My, cat, uh, my wife let my cat out, and he promptly went under the house. And um, the solution I came up with, he hates the neighbor's cat, so I stole the neighbor's cat and threw the neighbor's cat under my house, <laughs> hoping that it would, um, you know, piss off my cat and he'd come running out, and then we could just take it from there. Um, but instead, my, my cat whooped the neighbor's cat's ass, and the neighbor's cat ran back out. And the neighbor got mad at me, and my cat's still under the house. So, You can call me international cat thief Chris Terry. Um, I'm going to read from this book, Zero Fade. I got a couple of different scenes I was thinking about reading. I figure I'll take a... Would you guys rather hear about um, The Gap or Claire's Boutique? Claire's. Claire's? All right, let's, let's do Claire's. So this is a, the narrator is a 13-year-old boy named Kevin. It's uh, 1994, he's just got done being grounded, and he thought he was going to the movies with his sister, but at the last minute his sister pulled him out of the ticket line, and um, they're fooling around at the mall instead. Here we go. Oh, and another, another thing you should know is that his uncle, his beloved uncle, has just come out to him. So he's kind of working through his own homophobia on his feet right now. All right. We got in the mall, and Laura took off, away from the food court. She was doing a new walk with quick, short steps and a bob to her shoulders. I caught up. Heard her black Reebok squeaking on the tiles and asked, what's up, where to? Oh, you'll see, she said, and raised her eyebrows. Mama would do the same thing, but her surprises were never that great. McDonald's for dinner. A trip to the pool where she'd prop her knobby feet up on a deck chair. Me and Laura were at the mall with 20 bucks and two hours to kill. We had a lot of choices. Lunch, tapes, maybe a hat. She stopped at the racks of jewelry in the Claire's Boutique doorway, and everything in that store was pink, and sparkling and making twinkly dance music. If I went in there, people would really think I was gay. What was Uncle Paul doing right then? Now, I'll always wonder if he's doing something gay when I'm not there. We are not going in that store, I said. Laura was already walking in. Come on now. I looked at the leather store across the way and I could sort of smell the jackets. I wished my hoodie would turn into a black zip-up leather like Uncle Paul's. Are those jackets gay? I followed Laura, wondering what good this place could be. All the little earrings and necklaces shimmered and waved like jewels on a belly dancer. The microphone. <laughs> this hard-looking white girl came out from behind the counter and said, What's up, Laura? But it didn't sound like a question. She didn't look at me until Laura said, Tracy, this is my brother Kevin. Tracy said, Hi, in this fake voice that trailed off like girls do when they see a baby. She had a long face with a pointy chin, a ponytail, slicked back so hard her eyebrows popped up surprised, and so much makeup under her eyelids that they looked like my thumbnail after I whacked it with a hammer in woodshop. I nodded. What's up? Is this on or what? Tracy asked Laura. Yeah. Was what on? It was a new tone of voice for Laura. It matched that fast new walk. 
Tracy said, I hear you want to get your ear pierced, Kevin. It sounded like Tracy was trying to crack on me. I did want an earring, though, like crazy, to look like a rapper. Mama said I had to wait till I was 18, but I'd still ask every now and then, especially after seeing a bunch of high school guys with earrings. Yeah, I do, I said. Well, we can do that, but you're going to owe me one. When she said that, she touched my arm, right over the elbow. First Aisha, now her. Two girls touching my arm. Owe her one? Did she want seven minutes of heaven in the employee lounge? All this time I spend looking at girls at school, wondering how to talk to them and how to get with them, and this might be how it gets started? Who does she hang out with at her school? She didn't seem like a popular girl. If I got with her, would that make the popular girls like me less, or would it be good because I'd have some experience? Whatever. Making out with girls is making out, and I am up for it. Tracy touched my elbow, and I followed her over to a barber-looking chair on the far side of the counter. She didn't have a lot of booty under her jeans, but I watched it anyway. It's not every day that a girl touches me, even a funny-looking banana face one like Tracy. I got a swell in my chest and felt my thing start chubbing up, so I slouched down in the chair and put my jacket in my lap. Tracy gave me a fuzzy black card with different earrings to pick, and I got so excited that my throat got spitty and a tingle shot from my stomach to my butt. I picked a small gold stud that maybe Mama wouldn't see if I kept her to my right and slept with my left ear down so it wouldn't glint in the streetlight. Does Mama still check on me at night? I ain't a baby. Tracy was jawing away at some watermelon gum while she stuck the earring in a blue plastic gun, then took a sharpie and made a dot on my left earlobe. Her breath tickled my neck. I was glad David wasn't there, because he'd be like, don't do it. Then he'd do something whack like look at some necklaces. Tracy leaned in from behind, held up a hand mirror, and asked, how's that look? The face in the mirror was gray, mouth hanging open, because Tracy's hard little right tit was squished against my left shoulder. Aisha never did that. I pressed back. She took the mirror away and asked, well, before I could get a look at the marker dot, it's good. The jacket in the lap had been a wise move. My scalp prickled. Had the movie started yet? Were there any good previews? Tracy set the mirror on the counter and swung my chair to the left. Across the store, Laura held up some purple, dangly earrings and joked, you gonna wear these, Kevin? I laughed, but kept my head still while Tracy put the earring gun on me. Sweat popped into my armpits, but somehow I felt smooth in that chair, in that pink store. Would Uncle Paul come to a store like this? No. Uncle Paul was a man, even if he was gay. This gay stuff is confusing. Laura walked out from behind a rack of necklaces and said, you gonna cry? In the same baby voice. And I felt like we were back at home on one of the good days, eating cans of vegetable beef soup with potato chips crushed up in them. All right, you ready, Kevin? Tracy asked, and I heard her squishing her gum up into her cheek. Yeah. One, two, three. There was a crunch that felt like popping a big zit. Laura clapped and did a little jump on the rug. Tracy handed me the mirror, and I saw the earring, like a golden egg in a fat purple bird's nest. Blood rushed to my ear, killing the heart on. Thank goodness. So that's, that's from Zero Fade. There are copies for sale. We'll write your name in it and mine. Um, I'm going to read a short story I recently wrote. Also, I wanted to thank Carrie and the folks here at, at Skylight Books. I've always heard really good things about this store, and it was... I don't like to leave the house, so it was, it was a good to have an excuse to come here and check it out finally. Um, very glad to be here. Um, this is a story called Real Skater Music. Do you guys remember in like middle school or high school um, when you'd have a break, maybe over the holidays or over the summer, and people would come back and they're like, yo, I, I got some new shirts. I'm emo now. I have a new identity. Do you, do you remember this phenomenon? This is about that. Okay. Ask for a skateboard for Christmas. Pick it part by part from the skate shop near Needle Park. After, go to the combat zone to buy hip-hop clothes. Walk close to dad. Call him dad real loud so people know that the black guy is your father. Get a hat a rapper had on a tape cover. Wonder if a skater like Josh would wear it. 
Skating is for white guys in the suburbs who aren't preps. Rap is a difficult correspondence course on how to be black. In the car, tell dad, I'm getting into skateboarding because girls like skaters. Watch him laugh knowingly and squint out the windshield. Don't mention that guys who like rap want to fight when girls who like rap like you. This is the first Christmas where there are no surprise gifts. Sit on the couch, skateboard scuffing slippers. Roll across the flat part of the street. Rear foot slaps the tail to the ground. Front foot slides up, boards seesaws into the air. Suburbs get shorter. Leave a message on Josh's answering machine. Wonder if he went out of town. Speak quietly so mom doesn't hear and ask, why don't you guys hang out anymore? Regret telling her he's too busy with his girlfriend because now even mom thinks you're a loser who can't get any. Be glad you didn't tell her that his new friends, skaters like Alex, smoke weed. Or that he's friends with the preps. Last time they'd come up was fifth grade at the sledding hill. Your tube aimed at them, you shouting, kill the preps. Mom was self-conscious because her father was an Irish mailman, and now she was in a town full of doctors and lawyers with her black husband and sort of black children. The lines had been drawn, but were getting erased. Be self-conscious, too. Go to Josh's on the 30th. Look at his Led Zeppelin box set. Say, are they smells like teen spirit when he pulls out a Fugazi tape? Crawl under the box set when he says, no, idiot, that's Nirvana. Wonder how he knows about all these bands when all they play is fucking Mariah Carey on the radio. Wonder about last summer when the front door slammed behind his sister's boyfriend and she walked into the kitchen, licking her teeth and tucking her shirt so her boobs pushed down and then bounced. He called her a slut and she swatted his ear. Remember that Josh broke up with green-haired Angela when she said that her true love, Jim Morrison, was going to kick his ass in heaven. Figure he's guaranteed to get to at least first base at midnight on New Year's. Spend your New Year's watching a James Bond flick on TV while Dad describes the sex scenes that got edited out. Bug him and Mom for a couple cups of champagne. Announce, I need to go fart and run into the dining room to rip one by the hissing radiator. Strut back in as Mom is pouring the rest of your drink into her glass. Wonder what Josh is up to. Picture an identical den, but full of seventh graders, draped across the couch, propped up in dad's green armchair, all making out. Shine with that newfound ability to Ollie. Wear plaid skids pants, hoodie over thrasher t-shirt, board under arm, new hat digging into forehead, Walkman on the bus on the way back to school. The prep across the aisle lifts an imaginary headphone from his ear and asks, what are you listening to? Cypress Hill? I thought all you skaters just listened to classic rock. Flash over tapes and CDs, plastic cases shining on Josh's floor. Led Zeppelin, Nirvana, Fugazi, real skater music. At least this prep can tell what you are. The skaters stand in a knot in the school hall, heads leaned in like street lamps. Circle them, nod sup to Josh. He nods back, nod again. No one makes space in the circle, but see Alex looking. Hope he says, poser, so you can ollie a snowbank and then hug Angela while her army coat's unzipped. Instead, Alex puts his arm around a preppy girl who is now dressed in bell-bottoms and a long-knit, fresh jive hat. 1992, y'all. Go to class. Take off the wrapper hat before the teacher takes it off for you. Wait for the bus and teeter on the skateboard. Feel a push and the board shooting away. Catch air again, hovering while 7th and 8th grade faces turn. Land on your ass. Impact synced with the board knocking into the school steps. Tamp down the pain and then the humiliation. Look up. Damien, who showed you how to kid and play at the Halloween dance, looks surprised. Yo, I'm sorry. I thought you'd roll away when I pushed it. Believe him, because it's easier than punching a six-foot-tall seventh grader who wears comb-through texturizer. Bare teeth and smile. Stand up. Road salt sprinkles down when you high-five. Don't answer when he says, why are you riding one of them now? Thank you.
see. Are there cues for our race? Yeah, are there any cues? Do you guys mind all going right up at the same time? And we'll ask whatever. So um, I'll say, the, your books are also um, attractive, and they all have a visual element to them. And you're all with the same publisher. Do you mind talking a little bit about um, how you came to be with them? Or? Um, well, my first book, I self-published it and had my favorite artist design it and do the cover. So, and I love his artwork so much that, and I wanted to make it more universally access accessible instead of someone having to pay $3,000 for a painting. So I just, for the second book, was like, wanted to mix up the typewriter stories. So we collaborated and picked out his artwork and combined it into like a really beautiful art book. Actually, <laughs> at my book party, I, he sent over 17 uh, screen prints, and I kept them all. <laughs> so, I told him I'm not sending them back. So my whole apartment is full of them now. So, yeah. Um, my book is small, which I think is beautiful. I, I grew up with a lot of those pocket edition paperbacks, and I, I wanted to replicate that so that a book could be a, a more portable thing. Also, at the time, I was living in Chicago and riding my bike a lot. Um, and a lot, sort of the standard small press book is usually more like six by eight or a little bigger, and that doesn't quite fit in a coat pocket. So I'd always be riding home scared I was gonna lose what I wanted to read the next day. So that was part of it. And the cover art is by a comics artist named Ezra Clayton Daniels. He does usually sci-fi comics. Um, like me, he's, black, he's half black and half white, so we kind of bonded over that. Um, and I wanted to get an artist who was at least kind of black so that I wouldn't be angry if they drew the character's lips too big on the cover. And I wish I was joking, but really it's like kind of a sensitive thing. <laughs> so that's what happened with me. What was the question? Um, what grew you to um, having a, the book be beautiful as it is? Oh, well the, uh, the cover is also done by Sean Stuckey. Yeah. And then on the inside, there are uh, collages, different collages by by Robert Pollard of the band Guided by Voices, for which I once played bass in. Um, how's the move from Chicago to LA? Most of you guys have been living in Chicago, right? You guys recently kind of moved out. We both moved from Chicago. <laughs> Slowly but surely. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know why you came out. Uh, <laughs> I don't know the story. I just know that all of a sudden you moved here. Yeah. But Curbside Splendor is was initially a Chicago-based publisher, but they've really expanded since my first book, Piano Rats, which is sort of like really depressing, kind of sexy Charles Bukowski-type poetry. Um, they I self-published it, and then they kind of grabbed it and published it because they were like, "This is already done. It's beautiful. Like this is really easy for our first book." And then they started getting more and more Chicago authors, and then they kind of expanded from there. Um, but yeah, I came here a year and a half ago. Um, I work in the music industry, and it just made more sense for me to come here for my job. And um, just started doing more typewriter stuff here and getting hired by word of mouth for more events. And um, I'll be doing stories February 11th with KCRW, if anyone wants to come. It's a Valentine's Day. It's an anti-Valentine's Day party. Um, but yeah. The, it's great being a writer in LA, I guess. It's uh, been fun doing We did like five readings this month. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but uh, at all my favorite bookstores, this was basically 
the one bookstore I thought I would never read at because I love Skylight, so it's exciting. Um, Chicago was great. It's a, it's a really kind of supportive place for the independent arts. I went to grad school there for creative writing. I'm originally from the East Coast. I was born in the Boston area and did a lot of my growing up in Richmond, Virginia. Um, but I moved to LA. My wife is a film professor. and She got a sweet job at LMU and I wanted to have a wife. So <laughs> I came out here. Um, yeah, so I moved out here shortly before Halloween. Um, yeah, that, that's what's up. I like it a lot. A lot of my friends from Massachusetts have since moved out here, so I like hang out with guys I went to middle school with, and we watch RoboCop, and it's like I'm still 13. <laughs> so I'm, I'm enjoying it a lot. I actually never lived in Chicago. I'm from the Boston area, and uh, lived in Dayton, Ohio uh, for a long time, and then I moved here where I'm a screenwriter. I wrote uh, for Lindsay Lohan and Jackie Chan and Steven Soderbergh. If you have any questions about the Jackie Chan movie, <laughs> I can also ask us, uh, The Spy Next Door. <laughs> Nobody did. No, I thought I had seen all the Jackie It's the later period. It's not the, the good ones. <laughs> he did do his, all his own stunts. I even wrote it in the script. Uh, <laughs> when he jumps, make sure he does all his own stunts. Is this a for Chris? Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Since it's all typewriter, you can't, you can't, I couldn't edit anything, which actually was amazing because you can go crazy editing. Um, I, w I do wish it was a, th a thicker, uh, heavier postcard, but everyone else tells me it's fine. So <laughs> other than that, I'm pretty happy with it. For me, no, not really. We took out a lot of the cussing, or almost all the cussing, so that we could get it to younger readers also, because there's that kind of discrepancy between how kids talk and how the gatekeepers of art for kids want the art to talk. Um, so hopefully a lot of the swearing is implied. So that's something, you, but then again, I also just, I figured I was gonna cut it out, so I kind of went bananas as I was writing it, trying to remember what it was like when I was 13. Um, and so I edited that down. Otherwise, no real, Anything, nothing I'd really change. I, I did a bunch of drafts of it, and I just got to the point where I was so fucking tired of it that I didn't want to change anything, you know? Yeah. I would have titled it Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> <laughs> you guys all have a music background. Do you want to talk about that? Uh, yeah, my... Uh, we I were guess. all in Menudo. <laughs> Go ahead, I'm sorry. My, uh, Frankie Elliott's kind of like my secret identity. Um, I'm an agent in the music industry, so I book tours for, uh, for bands for a living. And um, yeah, so I'm here going to concerts every night and working in the music industry. Um, I used to sing in punk bands and play bass or guitar in punk bands pretty much from, like all through high school, through maybe my mid-20s, I'm in my mid-30s now. So I, I, when I was living in Richmond, I got to tour like the U.S. and all North America and Europe, um, and release records that a couple hundred people bought and play in basements. And it was it was really cool. And I don't know. Eventually, I started kind of feeling like the old guy at the party, 
and wanted to do something besides get hammered like four week, weeknights a week. Um, so I started doing other things. Figure it's also, you know, writing a book, it's a solitary thing, and no one's late to band practice when you're doing it. So. But I'm still probably listening to music more than I read. Don't, don't repeat that. <laughs> uh, like I said, I played in Guided by Voices in the mid-90s. And uh, I've also played in Swearing at Motorists and Complete Portion Control. And currently, I have a band called DTCB, and uh, we're currently on tour of the West Coast, and we're heading back from uh, in Boise, Idaho, today. If that makes any sense. What's next? Um, I am working on a novel, so I've always written everything in really short form, so uh, trying to Go the go, go all the way this time, I guess. <laughs> and you write it in ten minutes instead of five. <laughs> I write. I mean, I write really quick. I, so I write jealous. stories in like ten minutes. So, but yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on another novel. I got maybe sixty pages. It's drawing more from my experiences being a half black, half white dude living in the South when I was in my early twenties, um, and I'm kind of compiling short stories also. Um, so we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm hoping that Jackie Chan returns my calls. <laughs> and uh, someone actually, this is no bullshit, somebody actually optioned the movie rights to this book, which means they didn't read it. Because uh, there's no movie in this. At all. At all. You can't film uh, this, this drawing. <laughs> So that should be coming out next year uh, at AMC, I would imagine. Jasper Coupons. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jackie Chan is going to play Rudolich Rhett, or whatever that name is. Should be good. He'll do all his own stunts. He'll move the planets. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.